We're the Valentins. And we are passionate about people. Every human was created for fulfilling relational connection. But that's not always what comes easiest. We know this because of our wide range of personal experience, as well as our years of working with people. So we're going to crack open topics like dating, marriage, family, and parenting to encourage, entertain, and equip you for a deeply fulfilling life of relational health. All right, welcome back to Dates, Mates, and Babies with the Valatins. Guys, we are back with you and are so excited to be sitting down today and sharing our story. So we're back into our story. Uh, we haven't actually shared much of this yet on the podcast in so many people go through miscarriages and go through infertility and uh gosh <clears throat> we spent quite a quite a bit of time in that world and so we wanted to open up our story mm-hmm. talk about what we've learned give some some tips on how to work through it and some hope break off some hopelessness from people yeah. and um, just really unpack it so babe i am excited to be sitting across from you today and same I have, I really do have so much admiration for really what we went through together and how you just championed, gosh, all those really, really hard years, um, which we're about to talk about, but I do feel a ton of gratitude just sitting across from you, having gone through that journey together. Yeah, same. It's kind of wild. It's now that we are, you know, two babies into life together, I think it's easy to forget on the day to day, it's easy to lose sight of like what, what we walked through to get to this spot. Gosh, I mean, it was a journey. And I think there were a lot of days, a lot of months, a lot of years where I didn't know if we would live in the reality that we live in now. I'm just honestly shocked. (laughs) I can't believe that we have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, but let's back up uh, for those of you that are just joining us maybe more recently. We we talk a lot about our um, early years of marriage in a couple of our first episodes. We talked a little bit about our you know dating journey and then early years of marriage. So if you're not familiar with our story, I'll just kind of give you like the the, uh, the cliff version. notes yeah. version. Is that when Jason and I got married 12 years ago, he had three children from his first marriage. So. Some people are like, wait, he was married before? I know. So <laughs> go back and listen to earlier episodes to get the details on all of that. But uh, yeah, so I became a stepmom when we got married on June 4th, 2011. Ooh, the most that, glorious day. That cold summer day. That Yeah, it was a strangely cold, rainy summer day. Anyways. Um, and so, you know, before Jason and I got married, we in early actually in the dating process, I actually said to Jay one day, hey, listen, uh, we got to talk about something. I'm really enjoying getting to know you. I like dating you. I want to keep dating you. But we might as well talk about babies right out the gate because you have three. And I don't know if you're open to having more kids, but I want to marry somebody that wants to have babies. So we had to talk about it right away. And it was a bit complicated because Jason in his first marriage had three kids by the time he was 24 years old and decided that he was completely done with having kids at 24 years old and got himself a vasectomy. So you would have too. Yeah. So uh, he was done, done, you know. 
Um, and this, this uh, plot twist in his life was something he did not foresee. So I knew about that uh, when we were dating. I knew that he had had a vasectomy. I knew that at one point he wanted to be done with kids. And, but we had to talk about that. So when we got married on June 4th, 2011, uh, the upside of this scenario was we got to have unprotected sex. <laughs> we never had to worry about um, getting pregnant in our early years of marriage. But from day one, we knew that a vasectomy reversal was in our future. Mm. And, uh, you know, we had the kids, they were 12, nine and six when we got married. And so honestly, we wanted to give ourselves some time. We weren't really in a rush. Remember, we were kind of like, let's give ourselves a couple of years to settle into being a family of five. Uh, I needed to like get my head around becoming a parent on day one of our marriage and nobody in the family was interested in adding babies right away. But at the two year mark, we went in and had Jason's vasectomy reversed. Remember that day? Oh my gosh. One he of was the most real nervous, terrifying y'all. days of my life. He was real nervous. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So he had his reversal and, uh, medically it was deemed successful because his swimmers were on the move after the reversal. We had evidence that they had an open tunnel. So congratulations, that was a success. Oh, that's great. Um, Yeah, so two years in, we had that reversal done. And I'm kind of speeding through this part of the journey because it's not very interesting. But essentially, after the successful, quote, successful reversal, we tried for four years unsuccessfully to get pregnant. Mm. And I would say about a year, two years into that trying journey, we were like, hang on a second, this is not happening. Why isn't this happening? Um, went in and had some tests done and discovered that Jason had a really common side effect from his reversal, uh, which... Well, can I correct you? Yeah, sure. Really common side effect from having a vasectomy for so long. A common... Yeah. So a common side effect of the reversal due to having had the vasectomy for as long as he'd had it. It had been almost, what? Eight years. Eight years or something. Yeah. So um, we're going to spare you the biology on it all, but... I just had had antibodies. He had antibodies attached to the tails of the sperm, which is... Swim slow, man. They were slow swimmers. It's like having a weight. You know, can you imagine being a boat with an anchor trying to like get anywhere? That's what it was like. So the poor sperm, it didn't affect their health or their quality, but it affected their motility, which is, you know, how fast they swim when, whether they can find their way. (laughs) So they weren't reaching their destination. And, uh, we did a long time of trying And then once we knew what the problem was, the doctors actually told us we had about a one to 3% chance of getting pregnant on our own. So that was pretty devastating news. Well, what it means is that you have to, you have to try more at first. Like at first when you hear that, you're like, okay, like we just have to get more at bats, right? Like eventually I'll hit the ball. If I, if I just keep swinging the, the real challenge with this and, I remember I used to joke about this all the time, like, oh, the best, the best thing about having kids is trying, right? Right. And you're all excited about trying and having sex. Sex is fun. Will it, it be this month? Will it happen? Especially when you're in a 
infertility journey because the doctor's telling you like, these are the best windows to have sex and you need to have sex during this time. And so it kind of gives you permission, especially as the guy, you're like, well, we don't want to miss a time. We gotta, I know we got to go home. We, well, yeah. I know you're tired, but we've got to, but and you're so, ovulating. So get in the bed. And honestly, eventually it becomes one of the most painful things because you're not really having sex because you want to connect. Right. For the most part, you're having sex because you want to get pregnant. And that's not an evil thing. It's not a terrible thing, but it kind of takes over the theme of your relationship. It's easy for it to take over the theme of your relationship. Yeah. And then it becomes this massive pain point of like, I remember for me, yeah. at least, it was like, well, I really want to feel wanted. I, and not that you were just using me for my sperm. <laughs> I was. <laughs> but it can feel like that. Like, I don't want to just feel like we do this thing just to do it. And as exciting as it used to be to like, oh, I, I, we're having sex a couple times this week or three or four times this week to make sure we hit the window. Like at some point, I don't know, a year or so in, it starts to be like. It's really painful. It's really painful. And it feels actually feels really disconnecting instead of really connecting. And I think that this isn't something that a lot of people hear about or talk about on this infertility journey. Maybe I, we should have said in the beginning, like we're going to tell our story and talk about the, the different things that. Yes. Are we're going to pause along the way as tell we tell each. our story to kind of share some of the insight that we've and for me, gathered is, along the way. This is one of the first things that, that couples start to realize is yeah. like, Oh, our sex life went from being this really connecting, you know, really fun, exciting, fun, carefree thing. And then yeah. it becomes to like, man, it's this massive chore and kind of disconnecting and, uh, in this really painful place that, uh, is full of, you know, frustration yeah. and it gets really hard. Yeah. Yep. It's true. I think, you know, most people that Gosh, I mean, I have a couple in mind right now. We uh, prayed for them. Yeah, we prayed for them a few months ago. Um, They had been trying to get pregnant for close to a year, I think. And, you know, when you've never had a baby before and you've been trying for a year, you start asking yourself lots of questions. You start wondering and imagining, what if this is hard for us? What if this actually takes a long time? What if this is impossible for us and we don't know? Like, at what point should we start getting tests done? Like, how do we know if something's wrong? And it does start to become a real pain point. And then ultimately, you know what? They got pregnant. Just a couple of, like, I think the same month that we actually prayed for them at church, Mm -hmm. they ended up getting pregnant, which is just so cool. And I'll say, you know, for the couples who've been trying for six months or a year, like, hey, that time frame for trying for your first baby is not uncommon. Mm -hmm. So don't panic. Um, It doesn't mean that something is wildly wrong. I wouldn't go crazy yet. I wouldn't even run out and get all the tests done unless you really want to and you're the kind of person that just loves having medical information and spending money. But, um, you know, trying for six months to a year, that can be really common, especially for your first baby. And I would say for those of you that are in that boat um, or if you've been trying for longer, if you're in that spot that Jason just described where sex has become about having a baby. It's not actually connecting. There's a lot of pain, um, associated with it now. This is a good, a good place to just kind of like pause and reassess and reconnect and just actually realign with the goal of our marriage, which has to be connection and having a healthy intimate life is part of having a healthy marriage. And so it will be really important for you and your partner to 
figure out how to have real intimacy in the midst of trying. And I will say, you know, it's easier said than done, but I will say there is a lot of statistics around, and I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but people will report that, you know, high levels of stress do not help your odds when it comes to getting pregnant. So when actually getting pregnant becomes this chore or this obsession and stress is involved and you're, you're, you're wigging yourself out every month because you're trying so hard, there is a great opportunity to kind of like push pause, take a break and relax and actually reconnect and find yourselves back in the spot of actually pursuing each other for the sake of connection. And you know what? That's when it happens for a lot of people is in that time where you're actually not trying. Sounds ridiculous and it can be so frustrating, but I know that it's true for a lot of people. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with like, you know, you're being diligent, right? Like, oh man, that window's upon you and you're super tired and yeah. It's, it's okay to like, Hey, it's a, whatever tonight's a night when we're supposed to have sex and great, go for it. You know, it doesn't, I don't it, feel like it, but we're going to do it anyways. Yeah, That's every okay. time That's doesn't not bad. have to be crazy, but you have to make sure that you are mixing in the emotional connected, fun, yeah, carefree sex so that it doesn't just become about this because yeah. your whole world can become about it. Totally. So I would say in that first four years of us trying, you know, we had that hard information that we only had like a one to 3% chance of getting pregnant. Um, Initially, that was harder for me than it was for Jay. Initially. Mm -hmm. Initially, because you know what? He had three kids. Let's be honest. He already had three kids. The only reason he was having more kids is because it was my dream. And it was a dream that he had partnered with. I mean, he he was in it with me for sure. But I do think that when it's, you know, in those early years of trying for women that are walking through this, I would say, um, it was a bit of a lonely place for me. I think it gets to, it, it becomes a lonely place for women because I think at first, sometimes it is the woman who feels the most, uh, this, the, the greatest sense of disappointment or that longing or that hopelessness I think can be really easy to get to for a woman. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I think I just want to validate that sense of, of sadness that comes because, you know, a lot of women, I think, you know, we're created by God to actually bear children. We have a uterus for a purpose (laughs) that is in there. Purpose driven uterus, purpose driven life, purpose driven woman. There's a uterus in there and it is longing often for a baby to, to take up residence inside of there. And so I just think it's in the core of who we are as women where we, most of us would resonate with a sense of deep calling when it comes to bearing children. Well, our baby boy isn't running around playing with dolls. Our baby girl is, you know, when you were a little girl, you took care of your, your little brother as if he was your own baby, you know, like there is a, such a deep longing inside of a real innate there's a real innate, um, longing inside of most women, I would say. Um, you know, those that grow up playing with dolls or not, I think that it commonly women can relate to a sense of deep longing and, and deep, uh, desire in that area. So yeah, it's hard. You know, those first years of trying were really hard. So we got to the spot where, um, 
you know, we were, we were looking into some medical help. We were looking into, okay, so there's, there's something called IUI. It's interuterine insemination, which is basically giving that sperm a head start. Like, Say that 10 times. all right, you're not a great swimmer. We're going to help you out. We're going to put you where you need to be. Good luck to you. We did that a couple of times and like it didn't glorified work. Glorified turkey baster. Yeah. We called it the turkey baster. So, you know, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of options. The interesting situation for us was, um, all of my stuff checked out. So I was, you know, pretty good to go. There wasn't a lot of like help they could give me. It wasn't a hormone issue. It wasn't, you know, I was, I, I had all of that going strong. It was really on the male side. Um, which can be tough for a guy, right? Yeah, which like, can be uh, tough. It's hard on a man when he feels like he can't get the job done. Like I got this task to do. One job. <laughs> uh -huh. I didn't get in a hot tub for eight years. Yeah, he wasn't reals. He wasn't allowed to get in a hot tub because <clears throat> temperature can really affect yeah. your motility. So. Ice bath, perfect. Hot tub, negative. But yeah. no, I know a lot of men who have been in this journey and it can be really challenging and frustrating you know when it when you're the cause of and not like it's your fault but it can you can bear a lot of responsibility for that it can be really yeah. challenging on, one on of men. the things that crept in for me in this first like, four years time was just the um the disappointment that you know the thing that i wanted the most to do in my life mm -hmm. was becoming was feeling impossible like it felt um, you told me that a lot. Pretty cruel, actually. Mm -hmm. Like it felt cruel that the thing that I felt like I was made to do, what there was a barrier between me and this thing that I knew I was made for. Um, I think that's a common, yeah, a common feel amongst women and men that are walking through infertility. I think that just really needs to be validated. And I would say, beginning to end being willing to be really honest with our emotions in the process and being really open with each other about how we were feeling and being really open with friends about how we were feeling was pretty important from day one, you know, realizing, okay, this isn't going to be straightforward for us. I think once we realized this is not going to be straightforward for us, that was kind of the invitation into, okay, what are you going to do? Like, what yeah. are you going to do? How are you going to process this? How are, where, where are you going to put your heart? How are you going to posture yourself knowing that this isn't going to be straightforward? Um, okay. So wildest thing happened. We were like four and a half years into trying. We'd been told that we had a one to 3% chance of getting pregnant naturally without any intervention. And one day I realized I was late. Well, <clears throat> that's not the full story. Okay. It was Father's Day and you decided <laughs> to plan a really cool date for us out on Whiskey Town Lake. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember this, but I caught a really big bass on my fly rod. Yeah, I don't remember that part. Mm -hmm. I did. I caught a really big bass on my fly rod. We went, drove across the lake. It was late at night. I do feel like I need to clarify this. It was Father's Day. We had spent time with the kids. The kids were not with us in this moment oh, on fine. the lake. Yeah. No, the kids were not with us. We <laughs> sent them out on inner tubes. <laughs> no. No, they weren't with us. You don't have to clarify that kind of stuff, babe. It's oh fine. Oh, my gosh. Well, it was Father's Day, you know. No, it's fine. And anyways, uh, you basically propositioned me late at night. <laughs> and you got 
You got pregnant on that boat that night. I did. We'd borrowed a boat from a friend. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. Nah, he knows about it. He was stoked <laughs> yeah. about it. That wasn't yeah. the only time that boat had, had had some action on it. Yeah. Well, anyways, it's true. We conceived a baby on Father's Day on a boat, which was kind of a dream come true for Jay. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. So, yeah, I was late on my period. Long story short, you guys, we got pregnant. One to three percent chance. We got pregnant and it was the most incredible moment. It was seriously one of the most mind blowing moments of our lives. I remember we took that test together. Yep. We were in the bathroom in our little master bath. And I remember taking the, the pregnancy test and I was so sure that I wasn't pregnant and so convinced I was going to be disappointed for the, I don't know, four times 12, whatever that number is. I gave you the test. Remember yeah. I gave it to you. I was like, you tell me. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And I will never forget Golly. Jason saying that it was positive and I thought he was joking. I was like, babe, you're pregnant. Yeah. And you you kept saying, no way. No, I actually yeah. had the video. Oh yeah. The video is epic. <sighs> I burst into tears, of course. It's just that moment of, of that moment of breakthrough that happens where you realize like, I, I can't believe this. The impossible has happened. Like our greatest, at that point, our greatest dream, our kids um, had really grown up a lot. A cup, One or two of them were in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had dreamed of having babies while our big kids were all still at home. We really wanted to raise a blended family together. Um, they were in it with us, like they were up for mm-hmm. it. And it just didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. And so... Uh, when we did finally that one miraculous day got pregnant, it's just kind of, you know, you just, your mind goes to all these places of what it's going to be like to raise these kids together and start picking out names. Yeah. So, you know, we, we didn't tell a lot of people. We, we shared of course with our families and some close friends. And as you do, you book that first appointment with your OB. And so we had scheduled to go in for our, uh, our 10 week appointment. And I remember driving to that first appointment, you know, it's nerve wracking. You're going in to hear your baby's heartbeat and you're, you know, you're just praying that everything's fine. And I remember driving over to the appointment feeling so nervous. Do you remember that? Really nervous. We got to the appointment and you know, you're up on that ultrasound table and our doctor who is a family friend of ours, it was really special. You know, she had walked with us through our infertility that first four years and anyways, um, get into that ultrasound appointment and, uh, our doctor just gave us the most terrible news that you could ever receive. She told us that, um, sadly our baby did not have a heartbeat that there wasn't any blood flow and it looked like according to the size of the baby that that baby had probably not been growing for a couple weeks at that point so incredibly (laughs) devastating (laughs) yeah i remember you looking at me and of course you're laying like you're in the most vulnerable position right you're laying down and you've got the ultrasound going and there's no heartbeat and I remember you just looking at me going like, what do we do? You're crying. Like, what do we do? And she left the room and gave us some time and you were just like, 
I don't want to leave here because this was supposed to be, she's crying right now. Like this was supposed to be the most incredible moment really of our marriage outside of, you know, like getting married. This was like the moment we've tried so hard for. And then all of a sudden our baby's dead. Like it's just taken away from us. Such an incredibly confusing, hard it is the biggest blow to hope that, you know, that we've probably ever experienced together. Devastating. Yeah. yeah, I've never felt deeper pain ever. Ever. It was horrible. And it was by far the saddest moment of my life. I, I've never, I've never felt more deeply grieved ever. And I think what was shocking to me was to learn after this experience how uh, common miscarriage is. I just didn't know. I just didn't know. And, you know, once again, you're in this spot where you're like, are you joking? I thought we did the hard thing. It felt like such a cruel joke. Yeah. I thought we did the hard thing. Like we, we've just tried for four and a half years to get pregnant. We've overcome statistical odds. This was our miracle. This was our breakthrough. And for what? For just for, to lose the baby? Like what in the world? It was just absolutely devastating. And then, you know, in the weeks afterwards. Um, well, before you go there, we, I don't know if you remember this, but we decided to go home, pray for a week. Yeah. Come back and just. I mean, we have friends who their babies were not alive in the yeah. womb. And oh, yeah. there was a miracle that happened. And so yeah. we did. We went home and we prayed and we prayed over the baby. Even medically, you know, they give you, they'll give you like a week uh -huh. basically to see if your body processes the miscarriage mm -hmm. naturally. And in that amount of time, obviously, you're, we prayed. We were like, well, geez, come back to life, little one. We had our friends in our community, our families praying for us. I remember, and I want to say this because I do think that as women, like what happens in those moments is really, what emotionally happens to you in those moments is really beyond your control. Like you are not in control of what feelings and emotions hit you in those places. And whatever range of emotion you feel, you would need to feel complete permission to go there and to feel it. I remember specifically talking to Jason's dad on the phone and he was you know, adamantly and beautifully passionate about praying for life for this baby. Like we are not going to accept this report until the end. And it's not the end. And I remember telling him on the phone, like, I need you to pray. I cannot, mm -hmm. but I want you to pray. And I felt like probably because I was just so, in such shock, and devastation. I mean, it was, it was a devastating moment. It was absolutely surreal devastation. Um, I remember feeling like my heart is grieving. I cannot, I, I can't, I couldn't actually stop the grief. Mm. I couldn't stop the grief really enough to even pray for an opposite mm -hmm. miracle. I just knew that I needed the people around me to pray. So that's, that's where I was. And I would, I just want to say that out loud because I think 
for the moms that are walking through miscarriage, you know, it's really hard to muster something up that is absolutely, you know, you're getting hammered by these emotions of grief and loss. And, uh, I just think you need to not feel guilty if you don't even have the strength to pray for for life or resurrection like yeah. that. I just didn't. I had been through a miscarriage in my previous marriage, and um, and also, you know, when when my wife was pregnant with um, Riley, Riley, uh, she bled a lot, and so it looked like she was miscarrying again. So we had, scary. It was really scary, and Dad and our family just kind of rallied together and prayed and prayed, and of course, Riley came out perfectly healthy, and so we had had that testimony, and we were just praying into, you know, this this baby, but definitely taking away the shame and the guilt of not having the faith that you wish that you had, and, yeah. but you're in a grieving process, and that's okay. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so we had a week's time and went back for, a, you know, to verify you know, what was going on. And ultimately a week later, the baby still had no heartbeat. And so, you know, I, we had lost the baby and we were kind of moving into a place of accepting that. And I, I actually ended up having to have a DNC. My body did not, um, process the miscarriage. It's like, it was just hanging on. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll only leave you with a, you know, a, a, a baby that's not alive for so long before you're at risk for infection and things. So I actually opted for a DNC. Um, I was really scared. I just want to say all of this stuff because these are the very real things that, that women go through. Um, I was so scared to miscarry the baby at home. I was so scared for that to be my first birthing experience. I didn't want to experience the pain of that in my own house without any help. Um, I'm the kind of person that actually like, you know, if something's wrong with me, send me to the hospital. I like to be there. I like to be around people that know. I don't, I like information. I trust, generally, I trust, you know, mainstream medicine. Um, That's just how I was raised. It's my comfort levels. And so, yeah, so I, I didn't want to, you know, take that pill or, use this suppository and miscarry at home. I didn't want to do that. So I opted for the DNC, which I was very grateful for. I was very, very thankful that, that we went that route. Um, it ended up being pretty peaceful, but you know, the recovery was peaceful, I should say, but the actually going to the DNC and having to walk through, you know, having my miracle baby extracted from my body was, Oh gosh, excruciatingly painful, just so devastating. So guys, that was, that was wild. We learned in that um, season that one in four pregnancies is a miscarriage statistically. So many women experience miscarriage and I just did not know how common it was. And I, you know, some people, I think in an attempt to kind of like help, uh, I don't know, help you with information. I heard a lot like it's really, it's, it's, it's normal. And I like to say, okay, no, 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 it's common. It is not normal. Mm-hmm. We are not going to normalize yeah. people losing babies. We're not going to normalize babies dying like that. It's not because to, for it to be normal sometimes implies that I shouldn't be having a hard time with it Yeah, and nothing could be more far from the truth. I would say what we learned was it is common, 
Uh, but no woman is wired to have to walk through the death of a child or a baby, whether that baby has ever breathed a day of air on earth to walk through the death of a baby is not something that we're going to normalize. That's something that is very devastating. And yet I think that it's worth talking about because if that many women are experiencing it, then there should be a lot of help and a lot of resource available to women to actually walk through that devastation because it's real. So, okay. So, uh, we had this, we had this miscarriage. We, you know, walked through the grieving process and, and ultimately what, what it led us to was surprising for me. I think that despite the great loss, I actually never had hope like I had after our miscarriage. Something happened when Mm -hmm. I think the injustice of losing the baby, I mean, I was hell bent on having a baby after that. And the realization that you could get pregnant. Yeah, the realization that, oh my gosh, like you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah, I think that that invigorated a lot of hope. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I just felt my, something in my spirit just stood up and went, oh no, this is not the end of the story. Yeah, This is not the end of the story, so. Yeah, we we went back to the drawing board and just went, okay, like what do we have to do in order to get pregnant? We tried IUI uh-huh. again a couple more times. And then, man, it, I just started getting old. <laughs> <laughs> I started getting old and I remember telling you like, I don't want to keep doing this. I think you were like 38, 39. Yeah, I was 38 and just said like, hey, I feel like I have a timeline coming and Uh it's 40. Like if you don't get pregnant by 40, I don't want to keep trying because I have three kids and they're amazing. And, you know, we're going to be having grandkids soon and we're going to be empty nesters soon. And like our whole life can't revolve around trying to have kids forever. I don't want to do that. And so that really sped up the intensity. And also your mom had worked for a fertility center um, for a long time. And so it, we were both pretty familiar with like... Our options. Yeah, the options. And we had held off a long time with that option because it just, it, it's a big decision. Yeah. When you start to think through IVF, which we'll talk about how we made that decision. But it is like it's a step beyond, it's a couple steps beyond like I, IUI. And oh yeah. Much more invasive, your much more involved, doing much more expensive. Yeah. And so, but I think for us, I just finally got to a point where I said like, Hey babe, we have to either push this thing forward and do the IVF or, you know, I don't, I don't want to keep going down this route. Yeah. So we ended up doing that. We ended up um, meeting with some friends Yep. who had gone through IVF and it, you know, the challenge is it can feel like you're playing God. Oh yeah. A little bit. It, Cause nowadays like you can decide the sex through IVF. You can look and see if the baby has any defects or at least the, the you can look at the DNA, the, the genetics, yeah, it, like you can do so much stuff. And for us, we weren't super interested in, in doing any of that. No. All that we were interested in doing was, to give us a, baby. <laughs> a, a better opportunity because it's not even a guarantee. Oh no. Right. To give us a better opportunity to do what my body couldn't really do, create 
sperm without these antibodies on them. So, you know, we'd go another 10 years before my sperm met your egg somehow, at least that's what yeah. it felt like. And so we ended up sitting with our parents and talking through like ethically and morally and biblically, spiritually, how yeah. do we feel about going down this journey? Ultimately, we got to a place where you felt a lot of peace yeah. with, with doing that. Yeah, I think I would say that um, this, I believe that a journey of infertility is a journey for us to walk through with the Lord. And like anything that we do that's hard, with God, it ultimately comes down to being a very personal journey. And no person's story is just like another. And so I think that the best thing that we can do in life in general, when things go sideways and not planned, you have to get with God and you have to get with the people that are walking with you and make the best decisions you know how to make according to your conviction. And ultimately we got to a place where IVF, we felt a lot of permission on that. We felt a, a, an invitation, I would say even from God to explore that as an option for us. And we realized that we were, we made the decision to do IVF from a place of choosing life. And mm -hmm. so we felt a lot of freedom in moving forward with IVF. And I'll say, you know, our friends who had done IVF before us, they really said to us, you know, we labored over the decision whether to do IVF. And then the second we laid eyes on our kids, they had twins. The mm -hmm. second we laid eyes on our twins, we looked at each other and wondered, why did we wait so long to do this? Yeah. Like, how could we even second guess? Look at them. They're perfect. Of course, this was God's provision for us. And ultimately, that's how we felt. We felt like IVF was an incredible provision of God. We felt uh, we had a doctor who my mom had actually worked for this physician for 10 years, which was just kind of a little kiss from heaven that we had this real personal connection to our physician because it is such a vulnerable process. We actually chose to fly from California all the way to South Carolina to have my procedure done because trusting our doctor and having that personal friendship with our family, that felt like a real safety net for us. We just trusted him a lot to he's help us. He's one of the best in the country as well. Yeah. Which helps. He's a very incredible doctor. So uh, yeah, so we we did IVF in 2019, and we had little Edith Annalise in March of 2020. Yeah, little Edie Bear. Edie Bear. She's three now, which is crazy. And similarly to our friends, I would say that we, you know, that whole pregnancy was just, it was amazing. It was a gift. It went seamlessly. Can I add something to that, though? Yeah you struggled a lot through the pregnancy with the fear of losing. The oh, a hundred percent. And I just wanted to bring that up again, because I know a lot of women go through that. You know, I remember you telling me like, I, you were just so honest. You were just like, babe, I have so much fear that something's going to happen to her. Something's going to happen to our baby. And like the most important thing through this process isn't that you get it all right. It's that you guys walk through it together. Yes. That you're able to grieve together, laugh together, connect together. Because at the end of the day, all this is is just a big journey. It's life's just a big Life massive is a journey. journey that it's, you have a privilege to walking through with your partner. And there's, because there is no guarantee. 
on what's going to happen in life in in any sense uh, of the only guarantee is that you're going to die someday. Yeah, that's it. And so, you know, I remember just sitting with you. I mean, almost for the whole pregnancy, I remember being right at the end and you're like, I just still have a ton of fear about. Oh, I was terrified. Yeah. About the pregnancy. I struggled. I struggled. Oh yeah. I struggled so much. Even to the end. I remember, um, you know, in the, towards the end of your pregnancy, when babies get really big, like they, you just, your belly grows so much in that last month. And because there's not enough room, they really stop moving as much as they did earlier in the third trimester. And I remember just being terrified. She would stop, you know, if I didn't feel her kicking or squirming or moving around, I would just panic sometimes and I'd have to lay there and pray that she would move and pray that peace would come. And ultimately I would say like, I struggled in fear through that entire pregnancy. The pregnancy went fantastically. I felt good. I wasn't sick. I enjoyed being pregnant so much, which a lot of people can't say. Um, Yet I battled fear the entire time. And even pushing her out, I remember the first thing out of my mouth was, is she okay? Yep. And (laughs) and to me, that's just part of the journey of life is I really used my strength like to lend you strength there. And that was just one of the ways that I feel like we bonded together as a couple is going through those times that were really hard and challenging and difficult more for you than it was for me. Um, but being able to come, just come beside you as your husband and love you in that and pray for you and be with you. What a gift, like was so incredible and just amazing. So yeah, that, that was, I mean, that was awesome. And then with Liam, can we fast forward a little bit? Yeah, major fast forward. It is because, well, we're going to close this down soon. But it was interesting because we had Edie and you, it was like a year a year had passed, almost a year had passed. And you started telling me like, hey, I think, you know, I think I might want another baby. And oh, I should say this, though. The IVF journey is a big one. Because you have to give yourself, you know, shots every day and there's just a process. Yeah, it's a big process. Definitely worth it, but it's a big process. And it's hard. Yeah. Hard work. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work. And so I had, man, I'm 40, you know, I was 40 years old. We had just had Edie. She's amazing. Like, I just started Brave Co. I have what I want. You have what you want. And not that I didn't want Edie, but you know, like, okay. The kids were obsessed with her. It was the cutest. It was, I remember feeling, and this is for the blended families out there. I remember feeling like she's the, she's the thing that we all have in common. Yeah. Like she's, yeah, she's, she's a piece of me and a piece of Jay and the big kids have she has what they have. Like, it was like, I don't know, I don't know the word, but it just felt like she was such a bonding. She was like a little, she was like our little accessory, our little bonding accessory. She was so cute. Everybody was obsessed with her. We, we all just absolutely adored her. And she was this thing that brought us together on a new level, like on a biological blood level. We were connected. Biological blood. (laughs) So special. Anyways, I had started to tell you like, Hey, I don't know that I want to have any more kids, you know, and I just really wanted you to prepare your heart because I'm, I'm done, you know, 
Yeah. Uh, we're going to, Elijah and Ali are married. We're going to have grandkids soon. Like, I don't want to be having kids while our kids are having kids. Yeah. It's father, the bride stuff. It starts to feel <laughs> weird, get weird. And so I remember you crying and just being like, I really felt, I, I really felt like there was another baby. I really felt like I wanted to do the IVF process again. I, uh, I felt like I loved being pregnant. I, I wasn't ready to not be pregnant again in my life. And probably the main thing for me was I did not want Edie to grow up like an only child because our big kids are getting so much older now. You know, Evan only had two years left in the house and Edie was going to grow up like an only child. And I really felt passionate that that wasn't for our family. I didn't feel like that was our family story. Yeah. But Jay did not want another baby. Long story short, Lauren calls me from South Carolina. She was down there visiting her mom and lets me know that we are pregnant. (laughs) So we got pregnant all on our own. Just with our one 3% chance again. Yeah. Listen, I mean, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. If you keep (laughs) swinging, if you keep swinging, you eventually will hit the ball. And it was so crazy because I was just like, oh my gosh, I went from being like, okay, I'm done. I've already told, you know, I had that hard conversation with you. Like I'm done. I'm not going to have any more. And you're kind of processing it. You're processing it while being in South Carolina. You were already pregnant. Why yeah, the craziest thing was we had this drag out. I'm not going to call it a fight because it wasn't no. a fight, but there were tears and so much sadness and it felt like a disconnect. Like we were not on the same page. Little did we know I was already pregnant with little baby Liam yep. while we were having that conversation. Uh, we had not been protecting because we never had to. Of course, we didn't even think it was possible for us to have a baby naturally. Yet here I am pregnant with Liam. So in March of uh, 2022, little William Jeffrey yeah. came on the scene and now he is almost one and a half and it is wild and you better believe that we have protected sex now. <laughs> yeah. And not only that though, I am so thankful that we have two kids now because oh, yeah. they, like last night you were gone. The kids played together for an hour and it was like so helpful. And I mean, just having him around, what would you do without this little oh, guy? Yeah. That's amazing. But no. you know, there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of people who go on this infertility journey who can't have kids and who don't end up having kids naturally. And I think that we, it it is worthwhile to talk about that for a minute. You know, there's no guarantees. There aren't any guarantees and you can really, really get stuck in life feeling like if I don't have, if life doesn't go the way that I want it to go, then I'm not going to be happy. And that can be very hard on a marriage for a couple to the only way that I'm going to be happy and fulfilled and is if I have kids. And the truth is, is that, you know, it, that's not the only way to feel fulfilled and feel happy. Although it's a dream and it's a, it's a desire and you'll have to go through a grieving and a mourning process. But, you know, we, I have really close friends. One of, one of my best friends and a very close friend of yours, uh-huh. of course, um, they went through a journey of infertility because he, he ended up, um, he got cancer and went through chemotherapy and all this kind of stuff ended up that the two of them just 
weren't compatible together to have kids. And um, they went through the similar type of grief journey, but then they started looking at other options and they adopted these three incredible babies. Yeah. Not, they weren't siblings, um, babies from, you know, different families. And oh my gosh, like we were just talking to them the other night uh, and they, they had said um, that one of them had mentioned that they sometimes get like, like freaked this, out yeah. thinking about like, what if we had gotten pregnant? Because then we wouldn't have pursued adoption and then we wouldn't have these kids and they, they just don't even want to comprehend what life would be like without yeah. their kids. Yeah. And it's so cool because like I'm over there all the time hanging out and these little babies are just so amazing and full of life. And they have this beautiful family that they have created and, and loved and cared for. And their life is full. I don't look at them and go like, Oh wow, they're really missing. You know, if they would have had their own kids, they would feel that's not the case. And so, although I know that for a lot of people, it's not their first option and there is a bit of a disappointment to work through and to, to, to grieve through and process through. But I really think it is a mistake in life to to say this is the only way that I'm going to feel fulfilled. This yeah. is the only way that we're ever going to be happy. And I, I have worked with couples in the past and know couples who the infertility journey really put such a wedge between them yeah. that it made it very hard for their marriage to move forward. And yeah. so to me, like that doesn't have to be the case. There's lots of ways, you know, to move on and to move forward and, and to have an amazingly fulfilled life yeah. without, you know, you personally being able to have kids. And so yeah. absolutely, um, this is, you know, we wanted to talk about this today because it's one, it is really common. And two, I think our story is a story of both tragedy and hope. Absolutely. And so if you're out there and, and you're in, you know, land of, of trying to get pregnant and trying to have kids like, um, build a family. Yeah. Gosh, we want to just give you hope in, in yeah. share our story with you. I'm going to pray with you at the end, but, um, yeah, to not give up and, and to not get stuck in any one of the, the processes, you know, in, of, you know, maybe you've been through a miscarriage and you're just stuck there. Like we want to give you hope to dream again. And if you've, if you're at the point where, man, you just don't know that you're going to have kids anymore. Like we want to give you hope and, and pray that God would, would bless you. Like he's blessed us. Yeah. I think that it's just so important to, um, just realize that if you're in an infertility journey, it is, it can be so grievous, but it is like any area of life that doesn't go as we plan requires us to actually come back and go, okay, where is my hope and where is my trust? Is my hope in, in my actual desire being fulfilled or is my hope in Jesus? And I think there's so many things that's, that are mysterious about life. There's so many things mm-hmm. that don't go the way that we would have planned if we were in charge, but there's a lot of things that we are powerful to do in life. So when things aren't going the way that we want them to go, we are actually powerful to build a life that we love despite our disappointments. Yeah. And grieving a disappointment 
and processing pain inside of a disappointment is a very important journey. So to short circuit that is a no go Mm -hmm. to ignore the pain or pretend like it doesn't exist or gloss over it or not talk about it is definitely not the solution. So to fully process the pain and the disappointment is super important. But then on the other side of that, actually proactively building a life that you love, knowing that Jesus is so capable to cover our disappointments and our pains, life isn't going to go the way that we want it to go all the time. It's just not, but, uh, but there is hope. Yeah. I want to pray with you. Okay. So father, I thank you, Lord, that you're just the author of family and what I ask that you would do for people, what you did for us and what you've done for so many, Lord, for those that are in this journey of trying to get pregnant, what I ask that you would open up their wombs, Father, that you would release life into them or that you would uh, remove the barriers, the blocks, the complications, Lord, that, that we would get testimonies back of, man, we've been trying for so long and we got pregnant after you prayed for us. So Lord, I ask that you would, yes. that you would do that, that do you would again, open God. up the womb. Or that you would heal the sperm, God, that you would just re, uh, release perfect hormones, and, and Father, that, that you would come through. And Lord, for anyone who's struggling in the midst of pain, God, because of a, a miscarriage or just the, the long-suffering, Lord, that you would come in and comfort them and heal them, Lord, and, and bring strength into their marriage. And Father, that you say that you are that you comfort those who mourn, Lord, that you are close to the brokenhearted. And God, we just ask that you would be so close that you'd release hope, that you'd release life, and you'd release peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, y'all, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Share it with someone who needs to listen to it. Um, share it with a married couple who's working on getting pregnant. You know, Share it on your social media, stuff like that. really helps to spread the word. And... Uh, Go ahead and like the podcast as well. That helps a lot. But one of the greatest things is when you leave a comment, uh, a review about the the podcast. We have like, I don't know, over 200 reviews on there. And it just helps to spread the word. It helps to to, um, share what we do with other people. And so it's a free way that you can support us. And so thank you guys so much for listening. We really look forward to your feedback as well. Ask us questions. That's how we come up with topics a lot of times. Let us know what you want us to talk about. And uh, we'll probably end up talking about it. So thank you guys. Have a great week. We will be with you.